What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome back to The Dark Room. I'm Paul, and this time out we're going to talk about two movies that I saw recently that really grabbed me. The first being 2009's Star Trek, and the other being 2011's, I think? Yeah, 2010's uh, comedy horror movie called Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Now, uh, before we get into the movies, I just want to remind everyone that... Uh, we do have email here at the Darkroom Podcast. It's the Darkroom Podcast at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line and say uh, that we're doing a good job or a bad job or what movies you think uh, I may get a kick out of or we may get a kick out of talking about or watching. Uh, whatever you want, uh, drop us a line at the Darkroom Podcast at gmail.com. And with that said, let's talk about our first movie, Star Trek 2009. Up until this movie, my favorite Star Trek movie was Star Trek The Motion Picture from 1979. I've always enjoyed that one. I don't consider myself a Trekker. I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, or I'm not a fanatic at least. But I have watched my share of the original episodes when I was a kid on our local UHF station, Channel 50. We watched Star Trek a lot. So I've probably seen all of the original episodes multiple times. I remember the premiere of The Next Generation. I think it was after a Super Bowl, and when I was in college, they uh, premiered the Star Trek The Next Generation, and I saw probably all of those, too. I saw quite a few Star Trek Voyager episodes, which I thought was pretty good. Um, I didn't see that many Enterprise I think it's called the most recent one with Scott Bakula. I've seen some of those, and it was a, a decent show. It's just for some reason I wasn't moved to catch them. I think um, as I've gotten older, the, you know, I have less um, time on my hands to uh, spend watching TV, so I have to be more careful with what I choose to watch, whereas, you know, when you're a little kid, you watch whatever's on TV, especially when it was a time before cable when you had... <laughs> you know, a handful of channels, you had to watch whatever you could. So we watched a lot of Three Stooges and Harold Lloyd and Banana Splits and whatever else was on, and Star Trek was on. So you watched Star Trek, you know. And then when gener when uh, Next Generation came on, I was in college, so I had some time on my hands. So I watched that. Deep Space Nine was after college, had a little bit of time, watched those more often. But uh, with Enterprise, I'm, you know, an adult and... uh 
and I just don't get the time or didn't get the time to watch a lot of Enterprise. So hopefully it goes into syndication and, and I end up watching more of them later. Of all of the Star Treks, though, um, probably my favorite, I think I was a big Star Trek Next Generation fan. I was a huge Jean-Luc Picard as captain, although I like Janeway, too, as a captain. Kirk is, is good, but he always seemed like not the smartest captain. Like he... Uh, you know, he charged into every situation with his head down and uh, without thinking about it first. At least it appeared that way. And you get a little different um, image of Kirk in the new movie, in the 2009 version. Of course, he's not played by William Shatner this time out. He's played by Chris Pine, who, it, which is funny because I saw Chris Pine in um, Carriers and... So I think of him as the guy from Carriers, but uh, apparently he was in um, Star Trek before he was in Carriers. I'm pretty sure. If not, it w if not the same year, it was around the same. It says 2009 for both, Star Trek and Carriers. So I saw him in Carriers first, so I think of him as the guy from Carriers, but I'm sure a lot of people saw him in Star Trek first, so they think of him as the guy from Star Trek. But uh, Chris Pine plays Kirk this time out. And he does a pretty good job. Um, let me uh, talk about the cast first of uh, the 2009 Star Trek. It's, of course, directed and produced, or at least co-produced, by J.J. Abrams. And uh, the cast, it's all the characters everyone knows. Kirk, Spock, Uhura, uh, Bones, McCoy, um, or, uh, Scotty, uh, Sulu, and Chekhov. And they're all played by a bunch of young actors now. Um, like I said, Chris Pine plays uh, Kirk. He does a decent job. Zachary Quinto plays Spock. He's actually really good as Spock. Uhura is played by, uh, what's her name? Zoe Saldana. And she's good, but, you know, she's kind of generic feeling. Although they don't give her a whole lot to do. So, you know, she's she's attractive. She does a good job. Um, she's a little tougher, Uhura, because Uhura was, was fairly tough in the original, but she did get pushed around a little by aliens. And in this one, uh, Uhura was pretty tough. Chekhov's played by a really young guy. I can't remember. What is his name? Anton Yelchin. And he was pretty good. He kind of had a, a Ivan Drago look from Rocky. Uh, Eric Bana plays a, uh, a Romulan captain who's the main bad guy named Captain Nero. Uh, who plays Sulu? John Cho plays uh, Sulu. And there was uh, some controversy, at least originally when they um, cast him, because he is Korean. And I think um, Sulu's supposed to be Japanese. But I guess Abrams talked to George Takai, and he told him that Sulu was supposed to represent all of Asia on the Enterprise. So it's not a bad thing that he's Korean. It's it's a good thing that he's any Asian from any Asian country. So Sulu doesn't have to be Japanese just as long as he is an Asian. That's the most important part. So um, John Cho was cast as Sulu, and he does a really good job. There's a part in it where he has a sword fight with some um, Romulans, or, yeah, Romulans on Vulcan, and he kicks butt. So he does a good job. Um, Simon Pegg stars as Mr. Scott, and he does a good job. He's really fun as Mr. Scott. And Scott was Scott and Bones were like the two comic relief guys in the original uh, series. So uh, I think he does a good job. He doesn't look as much like Scott, Mr. Scott, but he he talks similar to Scotty. Carl Urban d uh, plays uh, Doctor McCoy, and he does a pretty good job. One 
interesting thing about this movie is some of the actors kind of chose to play the characters almost um, doing impersonations or impressions of the original characters because uh, like Chekhov is a lot like Chekhov. You know, he sounds like Chekhov and he does the whole, you know, replacing what is it, W's with V's. So, you know, he, he says Watka instead of Vodka and all that. Although I guess Abrams had thought that sounded more um, Polish than Russian, but they still went with that. But, you know, so it's fun. But, you know, he he does more of a Chekhov impersonation. John Cho doesn't do a pseudo impersonation. He's just being himself. Um Simon Pegg, like I said, kind of does a Mr. Scott impersonation, you know, sounds a lot like him. But I guess if you're going to be a Scottish guy and you sound like a Scottish guy, you're going to sound like Mr. Scott. Um, Zoe Saldana, she doesn't, you know, she just plays herself. So she doesn't, but Ahura didn't really, you know, she, she didn't really do anything that stood out. She didn't have an accent or anything. She just had a short, very short outfit. <laughs> so, um, but the you know original Ahura was good and the new Ahura is good too. Carl Urban does an exact impression of Bones. <laughs> he even says the same lines. So, you know, and it's funny and it's, you know, and if you like the original show you'll like him, but he he feels like he's doing an impression to me, which I think is fine, but you know, some people may be mad because they think that he's just ripping off McCoy. But it is Star Trek and he is playing the original characters. You know, he's playing the character from the original show, so you know you can't really fault him for that, because you know he's trying to be Bones, and he's you know that's his interpretation is, you know, Bones to him apparently is is the, um, you know, being the angry all the time, and uh, you know, and all that. So to him, that's important, and that's fine with me. I I have like I'm saying, I'm not faulting these guys. Because, you know, for, for doing kind of impressions of the uh, original characters, because I think, you know, to me, uh, the original actors um, were, were why I liked the original series. So these guys are bringing that to this new version. So I have no problem with it. Although, you know, I'm sure there are people who will say, you know, the guy who plays Bones is just doing an impression of Bones. And, you know, I have no problem with someone saying that, but I also have no problem with him playing Bones because it made me smile <laughs> listening to him. So, because uh, you know exactly, you know, when they're doing the impressions, when he's doing Bones and when Chekhov is doing Chekhov, you know, and Mr. Scott, you know exactly who they are before they even say who they are. Um, now, Zachary Quinto as Spock kind of does a little bit of a, a Spock impression, but he's not he's not doing as much of an impression as McCoy is because he's just using the um the mannerisms of Spock more you know he's you know of course the all of the um the lines that they all say are you know put in, put in their mouths from the writers so they can't control what they're actually saying but uh his portrayal is is more of an interpretation he's not doing a Spock impression and when he plays Spock he's really good um, but he does have a lot of stubble, and I keep wondering if Vulcans have that much stubble because I don't remember Leonard Nimoy having that much. Oh, and Leonard Nimoy is in this movie. His name is Spock Prime. He's the original Spock because there's a lot of time travel stuff going on in this movie, and it gets a little confusing, but I'm going to talk about the synopsis in a minute, and I may read a little bit of it because it does uh, get confusing, and I actually didn't understand a lot of it till I read um, the synopsis. And I'm wondering where they got 
some of this information from because some of this information isn't in the movie, you know. So uh, they must have read somewhere to uh, to get some of it. Finally, Chris Pine plays, well, not totally finally, because um, uh, Captain Pike, I want to say, who played him, Bruce Greenwood, who, who you've seen before. My um, biggest memory of Bruce Greenwood is when he played the president in National Treasure, which I really like those movies. I know a lot of people don't, but um, I am a huge uh, Indiana Jones fan. And someday I will tell the story of how I uh, stumbled upon seeing the original at a discount, like a second-run theater, probably just, you know, six months after it came out, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and my dad decided to uh, go to a movie and said, hey, that one sounds good, and we went and saw it and didn't know anything about it ahead of time and loved it. But uh, So that I love uh, all the Indiana Jones, even the fourth one that no one likes. <laughs> I think it's a really good movie, and I think I think it it definitely keeps in the spirit of uh, of the original um, uh, three. And I I don't understand why anyone has a problem with it. I think they through the years they've gotten a different impression of what Indiana Jones is instead of that it's kind of wacky and fun, just like um, how people hate the three. Star Trek prequel or uh, Star Wars prequels. I I love Episode Four, uh, The New Hope. I I think Empire Strikes Back is okay. I actually enjoy Return of the Jedi a little more than um, Empire Strikes Back, and I like the three uh, prequels myself. I think it's fun to see more stories set in the Star Wars universe. And Episode One gave us the greatest or at least my favorite Jedi of all time, Qui-Gon Jinn. I think, uh, I think it was a huge mistake killing off Liam Neeson in the first one. Hopefully it didn't spoil that for anyone. But it's the same mistake Ridley Scott made in Kingdom of Heaven when, when he introduced um, Liam Neeson and his band of awesome uh, crusader knights <laughs> and then killed them all off and gives us a crappy story after that. Not crappy, but just, you know, you, you go through that whole rest of Kingdom of Heaven and you think, what would this story have been like if all those guys had lived because they were all way more interesting, you know? And then, and plus in that movie, anyone who's interesting seems to be a, Ridley Scott's think, thinks is a clown or um, a bad guy and kills them off. So <laughs> that's the that's the kiss of death in that movie. If you're a good character, Ridley Scott's going to get rid of you. But I think that's a visually awesome movie. I think it's an excellent movie visually. I wish I would have seen it in the theater, Kingdom of Heaven. Um, but I think it, it it's so good at the beginning with those with those um, Crusader Knights with Liam Neeson that it's like, oh man, I wish they <laughs> would have done a whole movie with them. It'd be nice if he did a prequel and showed them crusading, those uh, those Crusader Knights crusading and and. Uh, and uh, the Holy Land, and uh, I think that would have been more fun to follow them. But uh, uh, so there. But uh, but no, we're still talking about Star Trek. <laughs> oh, and Ben Cross and Winona Ryder place box parents, and Winona is still uh, very attractive. And I wish they wouldn't have killed her off uh, as quick and either, because I'm always a fan of Winona Ryder, and I wish uh, I'm always uh, sad that uh, she didn't play uh, the. Don Colleone, or no, what is it? It's his daughter, is she? Whatever Sofia Coppola plays in Godfather 3, I wish um, she would have 
I wish Winona would have played it. I think it's his daughter. It's been so long. I saw it on Christmas Day, the day it, came, the day it opened, Godfather 3, at the Oakland Mall Theater. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get there and see the first showing. And uh, when I got there, the first showing was sold out. And the second showing started like 15 minutes later. So I got to see it 15 minutes after the first showing. But uh, first time, first day it opened, and uh, I just thought, oh, man, if only Winona Ryder had been in it, it would have made it so much better. Plus, um, if Robert Duvall had been in it, in it, I think those two would have made that movie so much better. Still a decent movie. It's kind of like when you say, you know, compared to the original two, it's not that good necessarily. But on its own, I think Godfather 3 is, is still a good movie. And that's another one I'm sure most people aren't fans of. But I enjoy it. But I wish Winona had been in it. Um, and then finally, this time uh, for real, Chris Pine plays Captain Kirk. And what's refreshing about this is um, he doesn't do a Kirk impression at all. He plays Kirk similarly physically in mannerisms um, to Leonard Nimoy or William Shatner, but he, he doesn't try to uh, do an impression. And I think that's a good idea. And uh, his Kirk is, is very good. I think I'm more of a fan of Chris Pine's Kirk than, than William Shatner's Kirk, but that could be because of all the Leonard, the, I keep calling him Leonard Nimoy, all the William Shatner we've had to put up with <laughs> through the years after Star Trek. It could just be my, uh, my bias because of that. But I think Pine does a good job. I think he's great in Carriers, which is, I think, is a decent movie. And I'm, I'm a sucker for a good plague movie. I, I wish they would turn into zombies usually, but you know, or whatever you call the things in 28 Days Later, which I guess are infected, not zombies. But uh, in Carriers, you know, they don't turn into anything. They just get sick and die, kind of like The Stand. But uh, I still think it's a good movie, and Pine is great in it, I thought. Um, but he plays Kirk. And I'm reluctant to read this this synopsis because it's a monster but this movie it's huge that's one of the things i like about it and that's one of the things i liked about star trek the motion picture is they're both really big visual movies and you know that's what star trek should be and that's what star wars is to me too they're these huge you know you always remember you're sitting in the theater and the giant imperial cruiser or whatever it's called you know goes over the camera and just, you know and it just keeps going and going and going and going and then you see those huge you know um the exhaust of the ships and that's what i i think of when i think of star trek and this movie captures or recaptures that feeling that the you know the star trek is huge you know and they're in space and i wish i had seen this movie in the theater because it is a it's a huge movie and i saw it on dvd so i didn't you know I didn't get that experience, but still, on a 20-inch, you know, Sony, it still looked pretty good, and I, unfortunately, I don't have a flat screen or LCD or anything. It's still an old tube TV, but uh, I thought it was good. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm lucky that I got this DVD because I have a, a guy I know who I met him when, he's, when I answered his ad on Craigslist, Craigslist as a DVD seller, and he's become more of a friend and DVD seller to me, and I bought thousand, at least a thousand DVDs from them since, at two dollars a piece or eleven for twenty, so it knocks it down even more. And uh, I was lucky recently that he got Star Trek, the two thousand nine version. So I paid two dollars for my DVD, and although I was excited because it says it has a digital copy on it too, so I was going to stick it on my Zoom or my iPod. 
or both and uh, and watch it you know when i was you know um, in downtime at work or wherever but for some reason you know, almost three years later two years later uh, the digital copy doesn't work because you have to enter a, a code online and all that and it's been disabled or something since so apparently there was a time a time that you had to do it in and, uh, and I didn't but so I don't have a digital copy but I have my DVD so I got to watch it there which I'm, I'm very happy with that even though I didn't get my digital copy but anyway um, uh, let's see the I'm going to maybe I'll jump back and forth between synopsis and just ad living um, in 2000 or 2233 the Federation ship USS Kelvin is investigating a lightning storm in space a Romulan ship, the Narada, emerges from the storm and attacks the Kelvin. Narada's first officer, Ail, I think it's an Indian name. The, the actor looks Indian, so Ail or Ail, demands... Oh, actually, no, this is a Romulan character, it's, so it's a Romulan name. I, Ail, <laughs> Ail, demands the captain, that Captain Rabau, Rabau, He's the Indian character. Come aboard to discuss a ceasefire, and uh, which is interesting because you know this Romulan ship just beats the crap out of this Federation ship, this starship. So when they talk, when they tell him to come aboard to discuss a ceasefire, it's kind of a joke because they could just destroy the ship if they wanted to. But once aboard, Narada's commander Nero kills Rabau when he mentions the star date because he asks him what is the star date, and he says it and. Uh, You'll find out later why that's important. And uh, he resumes the assault on the Kelvin, on the starship Kelvin. The Kelvin's first officer, Lieutenant Commander George Kirk, orders the ship's personnel evacuated via shuttlecraft, including his pregnant wife, Winona. Kirk sacrifices himself by steering the Kelvin on a collision course while Winona gives birth to their son, James Tiberius Kirk, aboard a shuttlecraft. And there's a there's a, um, a misdirection in there where he calls him um, Kirk the captain uh Rabot, i think it is uh calls him mr kirk or kirk and you think oh wait is this is this kirk captain kirk and it's not it's his dad and uh, it's just kind of cool and and you know as as his dad's um piloting the kelvin into the romulan ship to try to destroy it it's to give um every, all of the people abandoning the starship a chance of getting away he can hear over the speakers, you know, his wife giving birth, and they kind of name Captain Kirk. She wants to call him something, and uh, he, or they want to call him. She wants to call him Tiberius, and he says, "Oh no, let's name him after." Because I think um, Kirk's dad's dad, so Kirk's grandpa is named Tiberius, and uh, he says, "No, no, let's name him after your dad, his wife's dad, which is James." So he ends up as James Tiberius Kirk, and then he crashes the ship into the Romulan ship and dies. Now, on Vulcan, um, they show Spock kind of growing up on Vulcan, though then it goes to um, kind of a montage of Kirk growing up on Earth, you know, because his dad's gone. He has like a stepdad and, and you know, showing, establishing that he's kind of this reckless wild kid, but he's very intelligent. That's one thing I didn't get from the original series, that, that Kirk is, is like a genius himself because he leans on Spock so much. You know, because Spock is, is a super genius and Kirk is just a genius. But you never get the impression that Kirk is that smart in the original series. He just seems like a football player kind of guy who's just going to lower his shoulder and run through problems instead of thinking them out. So, But in this, 
movie. They go out of their way to let you know that Kirk is a genius too. He's a very uh, well thought of uh, cadet later on at Starfleet and he moves up quickly and so he deserves his success because he is intelligent. But at the same time they kind of uh, show Spock growing up on Vulcan and how he, he has issues because he is of mixed heritage. His mom is human and his dad is Vulcan and how the young Vulcan kids, you know, they treat him and tease him about it and how he grows up and, uh, you know, shows them all by being uh, so intelligent and all of that on Vulcan. And uh, he's in, he is invited, because of this, he's invited to join this prestigious Vulcan Science Academy. And he seems like he's going to do it, but when they say, you know, it's, you know, it's um, admirable or something that he uh, he accomplished so much given the disadvantage of his mother and he kind of you know his human side kind of kicks in and he says you know kind of a screw you he tells them thanks but no thanks instead I'm going to join Starfleet and they tell him you know well no one's ever no Vulcan has ever you know refused uh, joining the Vulcan Science Academy when it's been offered and he says well the record still stands because since I'm half human um, it doesn't count, basically. So it gives them a screw you and uh, join Starfleet instead. Now, um, while all this is going on, you know, a couple years go by and Kirk and Spock end up at Starfleet Academy. But, you know, Spock raises really quickly because he is so smart. And uh, Kirk, what is it? On Earth, Kirk has become a reckless but intelligent young man after a bar fight involving friends of Uhura. Because that's part of it is Kirk keeps trying to deal Uhura. And she keeps blowing him off. And later we find that she is, I, I don't think at this point, but later in the story in, at Starfleet Academy, she's dating Spock and their relationship becomes a big part of the story later, which is unusual, which is a twist from uh, the original series. And, and one thing I have to say is this is not the original series done over. This is the original series in an alternate universe. Because of all of the time travel, there, there are things that happen in this movie and relationships that are different than the original because it is an alternative universe. So uh, I guess in the original, Kirk is born in Kansas, I think it is. But in this version, he's born in space. So there are differences. And one big difference later is Vulcan is destroyed in this version, whereas in the original, Vulcan isn't destroyed. So this is an alternate reality because of um, Spock going, um, well, when well, there because of the whole time travel thing, which, which um, I'll hopefully we'll <laughs> explain in a minute. Um, this you know everything, all the rules basically are are gone in this one because it's an alternate reality. You know they don't have to follow all of the same rules. So and one rule they don't follow in this is you know uh, Spock and Uhura are a couple, although not yet. After a bar fight involving friends of Uhura, Starfleet cadet Kirk, who, Uhura, who was a cadet at Starfleet at the time, Kirk meets Captain Christopher Pike, who encourages him to enlist in Starfleet Academy, which he does. He, uh, he takes that recommendation, kind of a challenge from Pike, and he, uh, he joins Starfleet. Three years later at the Academy, Commander Spock accuses Cadet Kirk of cheating during his Kobayashi Maru simulation. We get to see that, which Kirk cheats. He, uh, he dates this green girl, which is a th you know, callback to the original series. And uh, he has her reprogram the Kobayashi Maru program so that um, he can beat it. 
and it's pretty it's pretty dumb how he does it you know because he just stands there and eats an apple <laughs> while the while all the rules you know things don't happen the way they're supposed to you know because of the change in program and it would have been more fun if he would have faked it at least because it's it's so obvious that he cheated but um then we that's how Kirk and, and Spock meet because Spock created the Kobe Machi Maru as a way for um, future leaders and, and Starfleet to learn what it's like to be in a no-win situation or be, see what it feels like to lose and Kirk doesn't like to lose so um, so Spock accuses him of cheating which he did and the dis they have a hearing where Kirk is you know going to get in trouble and that the he hearing is interrupted uh, when Starfleet receives a distress signal from Vulcan. And uh, conveniently, the, the fleet is out of range of Vulcan. So what they do is they take all of the cadets at Starfleet and put them on ships that are in orbit around Earth and send them to Vulcan to fight whatever's happening or to rescue people or whatever. Because they don't know what's going on. They don't think it's an attack. They think it's a natural disaster at this point. And while they're en route to... Uh, oh, Kirk is basically suspended because of his, his the whole hearing and until they can finish the hearing he's suspended and he bones uh, sneaks him kind of kind of sneaks him using a technicality onto the uh, enterprise and it's kind of a humorous uh, thing because he infects uh, Kirk and, t and tells the guards that he has to take him aboard the uh, the enterprise to treat him and it's like all of these weird side effects from what he infected him he has all these uh, like his hands swell up and it's pretty gross but funny at the same time and while they're en route to vulcan kirk um realizes that this is what's happening to vulcan is the thing that happened when his parents when his dad was killed um 20 years ago or however many years it is um does it say uh 20 it's it's like 20 years earlier his dad is killed because he's not very old. And then he realizes like the lightning storm on Vulcan is similar to the one when he was born. So he convinces Captain Pike to raise his shields before he gets to Vulcan. So when he, they get there, their ship won't be destroyed. Because when they come out of um, um, warp, they uh, you know Vulcan is surrounded by debris of, of starships that have been destroyed by the the Romulan ship that's there that destroyed the Kelvin in the uh, beginning of the movie. The Enterprise arrives at Vulcan to find the rest of the fleet destroyed and the Narada drilling into Vulcan's core, which is kind of interesting that they lower this drill from space <laughs> to drill to the core of a planet to destroy it. After the Enterprise is attacked by the Narada, Pike surrenders because there's still no match for this ship, which I, I think turns out to come from 128 years in the future, so they have more advanced... Um, weaponry, although they are a mining ship, so I question why a mining ship has that kind of weaponry, but uh, you know, it helps the story move along. Pike surrenders just like the captain in the beginning did, gives Spock command of the ship, and promotes Kirk to first officer. So Spock is now in charge while Pike is on the Romulan ship. While this is happening, Kirk, Sulu, and the original chief engineer Olsen do a space jump. They, uh, they jump from Pike's shuttle as he's going over to the Romulan ship in these spacesuits, and to and they free fall onto Vulcan, which is pretty cool. And they land on the drilling platform that's drilling into Vulcan. And of course, 
because Olsen, engineer Olsen, is wearing a red shirt. He's disposable, and he's immediately killed by the drill. He goes into the laser beam kind of and is, and is vaporized, which is good because it makes way for Scotty to be the chief engineer not long after. Um, and when they're on the drilling platform, Solo and uh, or Sulu and Kirk fight with these big, tough-looking Romulans. Romulans kick butt in this movie. They're tough-looking guys in this this version of Star Trek. And uh, and uh, Sulu does some some cool sword fighting. And it's just, this is the beginning of being everything being way up in the air in Star Trek because they're on this drilling platform, and it's pretty. I'm not a big fan of heights, and uh, so I'm uncomfortable watching it. But uh, it is visually very cool. But Kirk and uh, Sulu, you know, beat the two um, Romulan guards, kind of, and uh, and throw them off the edge of the drilling platform and disable the... This is where we first get to see uh, Kirk's uh, problem-solving skills by uh, disabling the drill. But this, unfortunately, doesn't stop the Romulans from destroying or, or continuing with their plans to destroy Vulcan because they have something called red matter. And... Uh, they release the red matter into the hole because they've already reached the core by the time Kirk stops it. So uh, they they release the red matter into the core and it creates an artificial black hole which swallows up um, Vulcan and kills most of its inhabitants. Although before this happens, Spock beams down to the planet and rescues the Vulcan High Council and his dad, but his mom is killed right as they're being um, transported while that has happened, after um, Pike reaches the vol the Romulan ship, uh, he's tortured by Captain Nero, played by Eric Bana, who is really good. I didn't I didn't recognize him. Um, he's torturing Pike to get Earth's perimeter defense codes so that they can now go to Earth. And uh, at this point, Kirk has been stranded on uh, a planet called Delta Vega because he tries to uh, get. There's a, he has a disagreement with Spock because Spock is now captain of the ship. And uh, Spock wants to go back to, um, he wants to ra rendezvous with, with the remaining Starfleet ships and then attack the Romulans altogether. And Kirk disagrees that they should attack now because, um, you know, they're going to kill Pike and all that. And so because uh, of the disagreement and because uh, Spock is captain, they uh, they drop Kirk off on this this um this cold planet like in uh, is it Return of the Jedi is that or is it Empire I can't remember but uh, you know Hoth I think it is is the ice planet but you wonder why they did it because I don't think Kirk would have survived really he he gets chased by these pretty pretty huge scary creatures and I think he would have died. But, of course, he's saved by someone on the ice planet. And it turns out to be Spock Prime, played by Leonard Nimoy. And, it's, and when you see him, it just brings a smile to your face to get to see Leonard Nimoy playing Spock again. And uh, it's very interesting because um, Spock has to tell Kirk who he is and, you know, and that he's from the future. He, um, he explains to him that he and Nero... They were, the captain of the Romulan ship, are from 129 years in the future where Romulus is threatened, that's the home world of the Romulans, by a volatile supernova. So Spock in the future tries to use red matter to create a black hole to stop the supernova, but when he fails, the blast destroys Romulus, killing Nero's wife and family, the Romulan captain. 
So the Narada attacks Spock because, you know, they get revenge for him failing to save their planet. And they're both caught in the new black hole that the supernova and the red, uh, red matter create. And they're sent, you know, flying through time, basically. Because in this, in this version of Star Trek, black holes are time travel doorways, basically. And uh, the, what is it? Spock is sent, they sends them back in time. Um, what is it? Nero? Oh, they're most, they, and it's weird because um, the Romulan ship is sent like 28 years or something further back in time than Spock. Because when they come back in time and, and kill Kirk's dad, um, um, they have to wait like 20-something years for Spock to come through the wormhole so that they can kill him. Or, or what they do is they don't want to kill him. They want to, um, they want to make him watch the destruction of his home planet. So because they had to watch, you know, Romulus, you know, be destroyed by the black hole, they want um, Spock to watch Vulcan be destroyed by a black hole that they create with the red matter. So that's how, you know, they when they're waiting for Spock, he finally comes to the wormhole. They abandon him on Delta Vega. They abandon Spock there, and that's how he meets up with uh, with Kirk. While they're on Delta Vega, um, apparently there is a Starfleet outpost on on uh, Delta Vega, which makes you wonder why they didn't just send Kirk. They didn't beam him right down to the outpost, and then uh, instead of out in the middle of the snow, where he could die. <laughs> but um, Kirk and Spock Prime go to uh, the outpost, and they meet um, they meet Mister Scott, and. Uh, Spock Prime gives uh, Scotty some information that he will um, discover later in his life, but uh, about uh, warping or uh, what is it, um, transporting people onto a ship that is in or that is in warp, something like that. So um, he gives Scott the information, and which Scott would have, Mr. Scott would have come up with in the future anyway. And uh, following Spock's advice, Kirk. Oh no. Um, so um, Scotty does that. What is it? He he um, he beams himself. Mister Scott beams himself and Kirk onto the Enterprise, which is uh, you know whizzing towards those uh, other Federation ships, so that then they all can attack the Romulus ship together. And uh, Spock advises Spock Prime advises him to provoke um, the original Spock into. Uh, um, realizing that uh, because of the loss of his mom and a Vulcan that he's emotionally unstable or not able to um, handle this situation and that he should step down from being captain. Um, and Spock, <laughs> Kirk provokes him, Spock beats the crap out of him and is choking him till he realizes that uh, Kirk is right. And uh, so Spock, um, um, you know, um, excuses himself from being captain, which leads leaves Kirk as captain. So Kirk decides then uh, he's going to uh, take the Enterprise and um, follow the Ro Romulan ship, which is now um, on its way to Earth, and they're going to sneak up on it and try to uh, beam aboard it and uh, figure out what's going on, basically. 
So uh, while the Enterprise is hidden in the gas clouds of Titan, which is kind of a really cool visual, Kirk and Spock get beamed aboard the Narada. Kirk rescues Pike while Spock uses Ambassador Spock's ship from, from when Spock tried to save Romulus. And it's on board the, the Romulan ship now. Spock flies that out of the Romulan ship and goes to destroy the, uh, the drill that they're using to drill now into the core of Earth so that they can release the red matter and create a black hole there. Kirk rescues Captain Pike, which is kind of neat. And then although Kirk gets a crap beat out of him by, uh, by some Romulans too in the process, which is pretty neat. Um, then after Spock destroys the, uh, the drill, he leads the Narada away from Earth and they follow him. They warp after him. And then out in space, Spock um, turns his ship towards the Narada. And, uh, <laughs> and because it's got this red matter on it, you know, it's, he's going to smash it into the Romulan ship, create a black hole, and destroy the ship at the same time. Uh, and he does. And while, while the ship is, is uh, colliding with the Romulan ship, uh, Mr. Scott um, beams him from Mr. Spock from his ship and beams Kirk and uh, Pike, Captain Pike, from the Romulan ship at the same time, which, you know, just like transporting someone across space onto a warp, warping, or a uh, starship in warp has never been done before. This has never been done before. <clears throat> so, um, oh, and there's some a cool transporter thing earlier in the movie where, uh, you know, after Kirk and Sulu destroy the drill that's going into Vulcan, they fall off of the drill and they're, you know, they're miles in the air. And Mr. Chekhov, um, he, he transports them from midair into this ship too, which is really cool. Although they, when they transport into this, the Enterprise, they fall like a foot to the floor of the transporter room. And you think they'd probably still be falling at the same speed, you would think. But so you think they'd still die, but it's still really neat. But anyway, they're back on the Enterprise and the, uh, the, the dark matter or the red matter has, has damaged the Romulan ship. And it's, you know, it's, it's breaking apart and it's caught in the black hole that has been created. And, and as in the beginning of the movie, if the ship was intact... It would just go through the black hole and again travel through time somewhere and end up somewhere in time. But um, because the ship is damaged, it breaks apart or it's breaking apart. And uh, the Enterprise crew gives it a, some help by um, shooting the crap out of it with, fa with, uh, with what is it called when they, the phasers from the ship, um, they shoot, you know, the laser, whatever the, the Enterprise shoots out. They, uh, they shoot the crap out of it, and, and that's very impressive visually, too, um, and destroy this Romulan ship. Of course, the Enterprise is trapped in the gravitational pull of the, uh, the black hole, and they have to, you know, Mr. Scott has to come up with some tricks to get them out, and he does, of course, and uh, the ship escapes, the Enterprise escapes, and uh, that's pretty much the movie. There, you know, um, on Earth, Kirk, after this, Kirk is promoted to the rank of captain and given command of the Enterprise, which is cool, which, according to what I've read online, isn't the way Kirk um, was promoted to captain in, in the original series. But like I said, this is an alternate reality. It doesn't have to follow the rules. Kirk is now the captain of the Enterprise, and he uh, 
It relieves Captain Pike, who is remote promoted to Rear Admiral. Spock encounters his older self in a Starfleet hangar. Spock Prime has selected a planet for the surviving Vulcans to colonize. He said there's like 10,000 Vulcans left, so they are an endangered species now. Persuades his younger self to continue serving Starfleet, encouraging him to do what he feels right instead of what is logical. Spock remains in Starfleet and becomes first officer under Kirk's command, especially because he and Uhura are a couple, so he wants to stay with her too. The Enterprise goes to warp, as Spock Prime says the lines about, uh, you know, which end with where no man has gone before, which is pretty cool, brings a smile to your face like most of this movie, and it ends, and you think, wow, (laughs) what a good movie. I saw this movie, and uh, I remember when it came out, it got pretty positive reviews. Everyone seemed to like it, and I uh, wasn't that excited to see it because, I'm, like I said, I'm not a trekker. I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Star Trek, but I'm not a fanatic, so I didn't rush out to see it. But uh, you know, when I came across it, I got it and watched it, and I thought it was great. Engines at maximum warp, Captain. Russian whiskey. What's your name? Chenko? Chirpov? Ensign Chekhov, Pavel Andreevich, sir. Fine. Check off Pavel Andreevich. Begin shipwide mission broadcast. Yes, sir. Happy to. Ensign authorization code 95, Victor Victor 2. Authorization not recognized. Ensign authorization code 95, Victor Victor 2. Access granted. I was also pleasantly surprised by the actors because you never know, you know, with young actors uh, how it's going to go, especially when they're playing established characters. But I thought this was great. I thought everyone did a good job. I don't think anyone cheapened their character, you know. I think even though McCoy's, you know, the um, the actor Carl Urban who played McCoy, even though he's kind of doing an impression, I thought it was great. I thought it was fun. You know, many times in this movie I laughed. Uh, many times I, I smiled because I thought, oh, boy, that's Scotty or that's, you know, that's McCoy or, the, oh, that's Kirk, you know. So... It was fun, and I think that's what a movie like this should do. You know, it's not, these are characters we know. You know, they're just, they're kind of um, um, cleaning them up and showing them to us, you know, in a 2009 version is all. And I had read that, uh, you know, Spock is in the movie. Leonard Nimoy had had a pretty big role. Kirk was going to have a cameo, and he was mad, you know, um, William Shatner was going to have a cameo, and he was mad because he didn't want to have a cameo he wanted to have the same um, size of a role as, as Leonard Nimoy, and they they thought it would be, and, and ultimately Leonard Nimoy agreed, it would kind of distract from the movie because Kirk apparently had been killed in the previous movie, something like that, and so this would be like the rebirth of Kirk or resurrection of Kirk, and I don't remember because I've seen all the movies, but I don't remember all of them. I think it was the one with Malcolm McDowell that he got killed in, So, but I don't remember. I'm not a fanatic. I just like, I think they're fun and, you know, I, I enjoy them. So that was some controversy, um, you know, that, that uh, Shatner couldn't be in it. And it's, it's sad that he c- couldn't do his cameo because it, it would have been even more fun if, if he had been along for the ride. But, you know, he has his reason, reasons, so I have to respect that. So, uh, but overall, I, I can't complain with it about this movie. And I'm excited about the sequel to this movie because I think... Um, J.J. Abrams has a good handle on what makes Star Trek great. And, uh, you know, instead of making it smaller, he made it bigger. 
and I think that's fantastic. One thing I learned about uh, when I was looking up this uh, information about this movie is I, I looked up some information about Star Trek The Motion Picture, and apparently Gene Roddenberry was trying to get a new series off the ground in 75, I think it was, 1975. It turned out, what was it? I think it was Close Encounters. Because of the success of Close Encounters, Paramount... Um, realized that science fiction movies other than Star Wars could do well financially. So they canceled the new Star Trek series, which was going to be called Phase 2, and instead um, decided to make a movie, which is which is cool. And I think, um, although I guess what they did was they kind of took the pilot episode and work, reworked it and reworked it. This is from what I understand. I could be totally off. Um, into Star Trek the motion picture with which I thought was fantastic the only weak point in that movie I thought was the costumes I didn't care for they got the costumes better later in the movie series I thought it was good visually I loved it and and that's another Star Trek that I did not see in the theater from what I remember I think I saw it when ABC showed it and uh, I thought it was fantastic you know, everyone complains and that it's boring and long and silly. And I, I thought, you know, taking the Voyager probe and and using it like that, you know, anchoring Star Trek in reality, I thought was a fantastic idea. I don't know why anyone doesn't like it. And the whole V'ger thing, I just thought that was great. You know, I think in in the Star Trek universe, that that could have happened. You know. So I don't understand why no one, not no one, because a lot of people liked it, but I don't understand why it, the, there was the controversy over the first one, because I prefer it over two. And like I said, um, it was my favorite, just like episode four of Star Wars was my favorite. Um, the, the motion picture was probably my favorite till this new one, till 2009. And I can't say the 2009 one I like more because... Uh, because of nostalgia and everything, I'll always like motion picture better than, than this one. It, this one's good, and, and I, I love Star Trek The Motion Picture. I don't know, I don't understand the controversy. Um, though I was going to save it till talking about it till later, towards the, you know, in the goodbye section of the show. Um, I saw another movie that, that is, had similar controversy to um, Star Trek The Motion Picture, and it's Lady in the Water. And, uh, by M. Night Shyamalan. And when this movie came out, um, I remember that people were, were not very um, kind to it critically. You know, I didn't rush out to see it because I, I, I loved Sixth Sense. I thought Signs was fantastic. It was, it's my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie, probably because of um, Mel Gibson, who, like I had said in a previous show, I feel a little guilty um, still being a huge fan of Mel Gibson. Um, and a little hypocritical because I, I'm I'm a I'm not a fan of, of uh, Michael Vick because of his dog torturing and murdering, and I'm you know violently opposed to Michael Vick, but um, I'm still a fan of Mel Gibson, and I think that's somewhat hypocritical, but I can't help it. Um, I've you know I've got decades of loving Mel Gibson in roles, and uh, I don't have that long of caring about Michael Vick, so I guess it's easier to to hate Michael Vick, but. Um, I loved Signs. Unbreakable is probably my second favorite. It probably goes Signs is my favorite. Unbreakable is my second favorite. And um, Sixth Sense was my third favorite till I saw Lady in the Water. And Lady in the Water is probably my third. Sixth Sense is my fourth favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. The Happening, I can't watch. It's too gross. I have it. I came across, it's like I came across Star Trek 2009. 
paid two dollars for it on dvd or less just a little under two and i have it and i tried watching it and it's just so gross but i listening to um the hmpod.com guys talk about it on the hm movie show i think it's called um, made me want to watch it again. They're actually who got me to watch Lady in the Water, listening to them, um, enticed me into watching Lady in the Water. And uh, I thought it was fantastic. And I'm, I'm go- hope to go into it in depth in another show. But happening, like I said, I can't watch. And The Village didn't grab me. And I think that's why I didn't watch Lady in the Water, because I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm lukewarm on The Village. Uh, I don't know if I want to spend any time on Lady in the Water. And, uh, I'm glad I did because I thought it was fantastic. And one thing I could you could feel watching Lady in the Water, it's just a well-made movie. There's a lot of, there's quality there. This is the danger of movies is even a good movie you may not like because it may not be a subject that interests you. Like, you know, if it's a movie about football and you're not a fan of football, you may not be drawn to the movie just because of that. Um, which there are those who will say it doesn't matter. A good movie is going to be interesting whether you're interested in the content or not. I disagree. I think um, um, a lot of times the content is what draws you to give the movie a chance. And, uh, you know, you may not be drawn to a movie if it's, a, if it's you know, a topic that you don't care about. You know, Late in the Water is a great movie. I would recommend it highly. Uh, and I wouldn't even say if you're an M. Night Shyamalan fan, I would recommend it. I would recommend it to anyone who uh, likes movies. You know, give it a try. I think Paul Giamatti is excellent in it. I think Bryce Dallas Howard, I think her name is, who is the star, who is the lady in the water, is great. I can't tell if she's attractive or not. I, she, I think she's, she has the facial structure to be attractive, but I don't, I can't tell. It's like in this movie, the way she's, um, her, her look is in this movie it's hard to tell if she's attractive or not but um <laughs> i've heard she's attractive in other movies but uh she has that confused innocent look in this movie so it's hard to tell but i would totally recommend it and sorry to get off on the tangent of lady in the water and my views on m night Shyamalan. oh another movie i want to mention is devil i think the devil or devil the one in the that is not directed by Shyamalan, but he wrote I guess the story idea for it and uh i thought it was fantastic hopefully you can't hear that uh <laughs> that horrible vacuum cleaner but anyway i thought devil was really good i i really enjoyed it and i uh i don't agree with the people who uh who rip on that either but i think a lot of them rip on it because they're not Shyamalan fans or they have some issue with Shyamalan now but uh hopefully i'm pronouncing that right but uh I think Devil's really good, and uh, you know I think Lady in the Water's better, but uh, I think Devil is really good too. I think it's well acted. It's kind of a neat story. Maybe I'm a sucker for devil movies or anything about the devil, and I'm not. I'm, I belong to no religion, as I've mentioned earlier, or political party or any of that crap. Not a joiner, but uh, but I, uh, for some reason, am drawn to these religious movies like The Prophecy, or Stakeland, or or devil or the exorcist or the omen or you know so i don't know i'm going to try priest when i can get a hold of that see everyone hates it or rips on it or uh, what is that one uh, legion i like that too so so there but uh definitely i would i would uh, recommend uh, lady in the water and i would totally recommend star trek 2009 i think you could do way worse um, than to spend your you know hour and a half or whatever on it Wow, I can't believe there's a, a vacuum cleaner going off. 
It's like, what the heck are they vacuuming? They, this is, I'm in a room that never gets vacuumed and I'm surrounded by vacuum cleaners. Uh, hopefully you can't hear that. And if you can, it's a bonus, you know, listen to that cool vacuum cleaner sound effect. But anyway, um, that's, uh, those are my thoughts on Star Trek. <laughs> uh, take them with a grain of salt as always, you know, everyone's, uh, taste is different and that's the beauty of movies is you don't have to like everything and you won't like everything that other people like but give it a try because i think uh i think star trek 2009 deserves uh, a chance and i also believe that uh, lady in the water you could do way worse than lady in the water and don't dismiss it because some of the kind of silly um, terminology they use in it like narfs and scrunts and all that um, it's a great movie and it doesn't it doesn't have to um, not use silly um, terms at times, but uh, you know, you could do way worse. Like I always say, you could do way worse than watching Lady in the Water. And don't believe the hype; it's not that bad. It's well, it's not bad at all. I think it's a great movie. So, uh, although I guess he won, I guess Shyamalan won worst supporting actor Razzie award that year for it, and worst director, and it was nominated for. Um, worst screenplay and uh, worst picture something like that so which is silly Razzie Awards just don't watch it if you if you don't want if you don't you don't want to see it why waste your time being that negative I got a kick out of it I thought it was a great movie have you confirmed that Nero is headed for Earth their trajectory suggests no other destination captain thank you lieutenant Earth may be his next stop, but we have to assume every Federation planet's a target. Out of the chair. Well, if the Federation is a target, why didn't they destroy us? Why would they? Why waste a weapon? We obviously weren't a threat. That is not it. He said he wanted me to see something, the destruction of my home planet. How the hell did they do that, by the way? And where did the Romulans get that kind of weaponry? The engineering comprehension necessary to artificially create a black hole may suggest an answer. Such technology could theoretically be manipulated to create a tunnel through space-time. Damn it, man, I'm a doctor, not a physicist. Are you actually suggesting they're from the future? If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. How poetic. Then what would an angry future Romulan want with Captain Pike? As captain, he does know details of Starfleet's defenses. What we need to do is catch up to that ship. Disable it, take it over, and get Pike back. We are technologically outmatched in every way. A rescue attempt would be illogical. Nero's ship would have to drop out of warp for us to overtake well, Then him. what about assigning engineering crews to try and boost our warp yield? Remaining power and crew are being used to repair radiation leaks on the lower decks okay. and damage right. to some right. communications without There's which we got cannot to be contact some way. Starfleet. We must gather with the rest of Starfleet to balance the terms of the next engagement. There won't be a next engagement. By the time we've gathered, it'll be too late. But you say he's from the future, knows what's gonna happen, then the logical thing is to be unpredictable. You're assuming that Nero knows how events are predicted to unfold. The contrary, Nero's very presence has altered the flow of history, beginning with the attack on the USS Kelvin, culminating in the events of today, thereby creating an entire new chain of incidents that cannot be anticipated by either party. An alternate reality. Precisely. Now I want to talk about a slightly smaller movie compared to Star Trek called Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. And this is a horror comedy that uh, was produced in 2009 but debuted in 2010 at the Sundance Film Festival and then was released in 2011 on DVD. It's a small movie, like I said, but it's a fun movie. And mostly because of the two main characters, Tucker and Dale, 
They're played by Tyler Labine or Labine. I'm going to say Labine, and I hope it's Labine. Plays Dale and Alan Tudyk. Tudyk? I'm going to say, hopefully these are correct. I'm going to say Alan Tudyk and Tyler Labine. Or Labine. <laughs> Tyler Labine and Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk plays Tucker, and Tyler Labine plays Dale. Tyler Labine is an actor who I first met while watching uh, Reaper. And I thought he was great. He was like watching um, Jack Black and High Fidelity. Was that what the John Cusack movie was called? Um, where he just stole the movie. Tyler Labine stole the series in uh, Reaper. He was great. And uh, if you've ever seen Reaper, you know exactly who he is. He's been in other things, but um, he's a Canadian actor. But uh, I mostly know him from, from Reaper. He was also in Zachy Miri Make a Porno, which I have yet to see. I have it on my shelf, but I haven't seen it was a huge Kevin Smith fan. Um, not as much of a fan as I used to be. I'm a huge Clerks fan and Chasing Amy. But, uh, oh, he was in Rise of the recent Rise of the Planet of the Apes, too, which I haven't seen yet. He was in Flyboys, which I liked, but uh, it's been so long since I saw that, which that was a movie that I don't think was that popular. But uh, he was in that. I don't remember him from that, though. And, uh, oh, he was in Canadian Zombie, which I've, I know nothing about but sounds fun to me. <laughs> but he's a he's a great actor and I'm glad that he's starting to get some recognition although um you know the fact that Tyler Tucker and Dale didn't get uh theatrical release in this country um is sad because I think just on the the performances of the two lead characters Tucker and Dale it's a great movie and uh I think uh I think it should have gotten to the theaters, but maybe, you know, maybe it's good that it went directly to DVD and, you know, without the cost of making prints and all that, maybe it'll be more profitable. But uh, Tyler Labine plays Dale and uh, Alan Tudyk, which is what I said I'm going to call him. (laughs) Hopefully that's the pronunciation. Plays Tucker, who anyone who's ever seen Firefly knows him as the pilot from Firefly. And that's what I know him from, and and from the movie Serenity too. I guess he was Wash was his name, but uh, he's great in uh, Firefly and uh, in Serenity. I'm mad because they killed him off. Hopefully that wasn't a spoiler for anyone, but uh, I can't believe they did that. Doesn't make any sense. He was one of the best parts of the show, so he's kind of the. Well, although everyone's kind of the comic relief in Firefly, but uh, you know he was really good. But I guess he was in iRobot, too. I don't remember him from that. He's going to be an Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter, which um, I think is fun. It's going to be fun. Transformers Dark Side of the Moon he was in, but I didn't. I haven't seen that yet. But Astro Boy I haven't seen. He was a bunch of voices in that. Uh, 310 to Yuma, which I have on a sh- my shelf at home, but I haven't seen it. Ice Age I haven't seen. I've seen parts of Ice Age dodgeball i've seen but i don't remember him from dodgeball it's been so long since i saw it and i kind of remember him from from knights a knight's tale but uh it's been so long again since i saw a knight's tale which i enjoyed i even enjoyed enjoyed heath ledger in that movie which i'm not a huge fan of heath ledger he was in patch adams but that movie was so weird that i i've forgotten a lot of patch adams um and he was in 28 Days, which is no 28 Days Later. Um, and Wonder Boys, which I, I wanted to like Wonder Boys, but when you joke about a dead a dog being dead, I don't think there's anything funny about that. So I just couldn't like Wonder Boys. But Alan Tudyk, I won't, that's what I'm gonna. <laughs> that's what my pronunciation is now. Um, he's a great actor too, and he he and um, Tyler Labine 
are fantastic as Tucker and Dale. And uh, there's a long, huge plot synopsis on Wikipedia for what Tucker and Dale versus Evil is about. But basically, it's Tucker and Dale are two kind of hillbilly guys who are... Um, they're going they've bought a cabin in in the woods as their vacation home i think i guess tucker kind of bought it because he keeps talking about it being his place but um, he and dale are going out to see it because they bought it but apparently they've never been there because they they're kind of surprised when they see it pleasantly surprised and uh they're going you know in their truck to go out to and they have their boat i think they have their boat on the back of the truck and uh they're going to go out to their vacation home and uh and spend some time out there and do some fishing and everything and fix it up. And when they're on their way there, they stop at the gas station or the bait shop, I think it is, and uh, to get bait, you know, for fishing and stuff. And they see these college kids, and uh, it's a couple girls and a couple guys, and they're on their way out to a camping trip near where Tucker and Dale's cabin is. And uh, Dale is, you know, kind of a shy guy, so he wants to he wants to meet one of the college girls who he thinks is attractive, and. Uh, He's af- he's afraid to, but Tucker talks him into it, you know, telling him he has to be more assertive and he's a nice guy and all that. And of course, the college kids think he's a creepy redneck hillbilly guy who, you know, uh, is just being menacing because he's carrying a sickle or whatever they're called, the big thing. You know, he cut the grass with them, like a grim reaper kind of thing, and which is interesting because he was in Reaper, and uh, <laughs> but. Uh, he, they so they think he's like this kind of scary looking guy because he's this big guy with you know kind of stubble and rough looking guy but he's you know, we know he's a nice guy but they don't so uh you know they're all they're spooked by him because <laughs> he's so nervous talking to the girl that he stumbles or you know and, and, and everything and so it starts you know that starts the misunderstandings there where they think he and tucker are these two crazy hillbilly guys and uh so they take off, you know, to uh, to the the college kids take off and uh, and uh, are you know to continue their camping trip. And Tucker and Dale get into their car, their truck, and go to their um, their cabin. And uh, you know they there are all these um, you know the cabin's pretty beat up, and it turns out that it looks like it was like a serial killer's cabin because there are all these. Um, there are these weapons in it and, you know, animal heads and, you know, skulls of animals and uh, uh, press clippings, you know, newspaper clippings of killings and stuff from what I could, could tell. And I didn't pay that much attention to that part of, you know, the, the details of the newspaper clippings. But it's like they're setting it up like like this cabin is kind of um, exactly what you would think it is. It's like a, a hillbilly cabin where some serial killer lived. But Tucker and Dale just bought it to be their, you know, their fishing cabin, their summer home, they say. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so they're there to fix it up. Meanwhile, the kids are camping and they're, uh, you know, they're kind of get, spooking each other because they're, you know, they're telling ghost stories and stuff. And they decide to go skinny dipping, I think it is. And, of course, Tucker and Dale are out in their, their boat fishing. And uh, they, the you know, the one of the girls, um, she's going to jump off a rock and, um, she notices Tucker and Dale in their boat, and she thinks they're spying on her. And uh, But she slips off the rock, hits her head, and falls into the water. And when she doesn't come up, Dale jumps in and saves her, and they take her to the uh, to their cabin to, so she can dry off and recover because she's unconscious. And, of course, the college kids think she's been taken hostage by the hillbillies and uh, have to go save her. 
And the whole thing is a bunch of uh, funny um, misunderstandings. And uh, little by little, they try to save her. And the college kids are accidentally killed. And it's and it's hard to believe that it would be funny, people accidentally dying and in horrible ways. But it actually is. I laughed out loud multiple times while I was watching this movie. You know, like, and there's one gruesome scene where Tucker is, you know, because th- this whole place is covered with, you know, big branches and stuff and they've rented this wood chipper and uh they have a wood chipper with them to to chip up you know all of the branches so that they can clean up their property and uh tucker's throwing um branches into it and this college kid comes running at him to stab him or something and and tucker moves out of the way not even knowing he's coming and the kid goes face first into the wood chipper and it's just disgusting but tucker's like screams because he's you know he's horrified that this kid flies into this wood chipper and he's he's trying to pull him out and there's blood flying all over and he's you know he's upset because he just saw this kid get killed and horribly and uh but it's hilarious <laughs> and it's disgusting but uh little by little things like this happen and uh because all the kids you know the college kids think that the, their friend's being held hostage and it it kind of spirals out of control and um the police come a police officer comes because one of the kids takes the car to go get the police and he comes back and the policeman is accidentally killed and they think Tucker and Dale killed the policeman because this uh, beam, this this pole or something, the policeman leans on it and when it, when it falls over, uh, a, a piece of wood from the ceiling falls down and spikes, you know, these nails spike right into the policeman's forehead and it's disgusting and gross and horrible and funny at the same time and they think they think tucker and dale killed the cops so they you know they take the cop's gun and they start shooting at tucker and dale who are hiding in the cabin and you know they take dale's dog hostage and they're going to kill it if they don't release their their friend and uh, if the girl isn't released tucker and dale don't release their friend and uh, it's just hilarious and dumb and and silly and well acted by Tucker and Dale. The co- college kids are all good, but they're they're young actors and they're not anyone I've ever seen in anything else. But still very good. I think it's a hilarious movie, uh, <laughs> and it you know it's got a nice happy ending. And you know and the, oh and, and Tucker is taken hostage by the college kids, and it turns out one of the college kids is is, is a psycho. Because um, you're watching the movie and you're thinking, oh no, you know, I really like Tucker and Dale, and how are you know how are they going to get out of this? Because it looks like they're killers, even though it's total accidents, and they have you know they're not to blame for it. But you know anyone from the outside, like when the cop comes, he's like, you, you know, what do you think? I'm uh, I'm crazy, you know. You guys, there are all these dead college kids around, and you're here. You know, you must have killed them, and uh, and so you know you start to feel bad for Tucker and Dale. How are they going to get out of this? But spoiler, they do, which is great because I like a happy ending in a movie and I like when characters I like, you know, don't get in trouble. So, but Tucker and Dale versus Evil is a great movie and a lot of people from podcasts I listen to have picked it as their best of 2011. I don't, I don't know if I could ever pick something as best of 2011. I like a lot of movies, but uh, Tucker and Dale is fantastic. And the two guys, Tyler Labine and, uh, or Labine, however you want to say it, Alan Tudyk, or Tudyk, I want to say Tudyk, as Dale and Tucker are fantastic. The girl actually is really good too. I think it's Katrina Bowden, but I'm not positive. Allison, so yeah, so that she's the character Allison, Katrina Bowden, Bowden or Bowden. Um, I don't know what else she's been in. Let's see, she's been in uh, Piranha Three. She'll be in the Piranha D Three Double D sequel to Piranha Three D, which I thought was fun but a little gross. Um, 
That's it. That's all she's been in that I know that I've heard of. Oh, she's done been an ugly Betty in 30 Rock. I guess she's a big character on 30 Rock, but I don't know. I seldom watch 30 Rock. I'm, I'm going to watch a TV series. I'm a huge Big Bang Theory fan, so which I know probably sounds nerdy, but I still like it. So, but give Tucker and Dale versus Evil a chance if you come across it. It's a fun movie, you know. It, it is a little graphic. So if you're not a fan of gore, there is some gore in it, but it's still funny. And, and the credit sequence part, you know, they, there's this kind of dancing stuff in it. And um, so like there's a guy impaled on a branch, but then he starts dancing to the credit music. So, you know, it makes, you know, to bring back, to bring home the fact that no one was hurt in this movie. You know, even though these kids died in the movie, it's still, it's just a movie. But uh, I'm looking forward to, to uh, Ty, Tyler Labine, is it? Or Labine? I'm looking forward to his next, whatever he does next, because I think he's great. He totally steals the movie. He's the Jack Black of the movie. And he's, and I say, just say that because he's, he's similar in physical appearance to Jack Black. He's not the same in style. Jack Black is kind of the over-the-top, in-your-face kind of guy, and Tyler Labine is not that. He's just the witty, funny kind of big guy. And uh, Speaking of um, Jack Black, my son has become a huge... Uh, kung fu panda fan although we've never seen the movies there's a series tv series version of it called uh, <laughs> uh, kung fu panda legends of awesomeness which is we've become huge fans of and jack black continues to do the voice of that and uh it's a great series if you get a chance watch uh, if you at all like animation um, kung fu panda legends of awesomeness is a fun show uh, like i always say you could do much worse than watching that <laughs> But, uh, you know, Tucker and Dale, and uh, I always end up starting about talking about one movie or show and end up talking about two. Uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is great. And uh, Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesomeness is fun, too. Oh, hot dog, Tucker. Have you ever seen anything like that in your life? There's nothing so special about them. They're just your average college girls. There's nothing average about that. You know something, Dale? She's just human. Why don't you go over there and talk to her? Talk to her. What What in the world would I say? Heck, tell that you got a vacation home. That ought to impress her. Are you out of your mind, Tucker? You're a college girl, okay? They grew up with vacation homes and guys like me fixing their toilets. You gotta have some faith in yourself, man. Girls can smell fear. Now, come on. You are a good-looking man. More or less. You got a damn good heart. Yep. I mean, that's two things right there. Now, go on. Get over there. What, what's the worst that can happen? You know something? You're right, Tuck. I'm gonna go do it right now. All right, I see it. Okay. All right, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, no. Whatever you say, just smile and laugh. That shows confidence. Okay. You got it, man. You guys, uh, going camping? <laughs> hey! Hey, now look, we don't want any trouble, all right? So just okay. back oh, okay. Oh, oh. Okay. Back okay. okay, 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 I'm sorry. Get in the truck. It's like a good-looking cooler. Uh, I told you, Tucker. 
I'm a zero with the ladies. I hate my face. Now, finally, to wrap the show up, I just wanted to uh, mention a couple things. Um, I recently saw a movie called Vanishing Point, which came out in 1971. And an interesting story about that is I, I, when I was a kid, my mom and dad used to go out like, and get a babysitter, and they'd go to a movie and dinner. And uh, one movie they came back from, my mom was, was furious, complaining about it and how horrible the movie was. And it, all she could say was it had some girl riding a motorcycle naked. And it's like, what kind of garbage is that? Some girl riding a motorcycle naked. That's disgusting. And I was, in 71, I was four. <laughs> so, or no, three, four. Yeah, four in 71. And uh, I can remember that vividly, them complaining, her complaining about that movie. And I'm surprised because I always thought it was Easy Rider. And having seen Easy Rider multiple times, I just thought, I never see the woman, naked woman riding the motorcycle. What happened? Maybe it was cut. And because up until recently, I still had the idea that it was part of Easy Rider. And it's not. It's Vanishing Point, which is an interesting movie um, from 1971, a very car oriented movie, a lot of driving, visually great movie. A little confusing story wise because uh, it is kind of a cerebral, I guess you'd um, describe it as. And I don't want to get into it too much here because I, I just caught it on IFC and uh I'm no expert on it or anything. I haven't done a lot of research on it, but uh, I thought it was it was a fun movie, and I'm just excited that now I can put a movie to that idea because uh, I now know what movie my mom was talking about. And the girl that was riding the motorcycle, her name is Gilda Texter, and I don't think she did much uh, film-wise other than that, but she is now a costume supervisor, and she did costume supervising on Romancing the Stone, Air America, Snake Eyes, The Green Mile, Garfield the Movie, and Herbie Fully Loaded, or she was costumer for Herbie Fully Loaded, and The Majestic, which is I really like. So this girl who was naked on a motorcycle, who looked fantastic naked on a motorcycle, I have to say, in 1971, is now a, an accomplished costume supervisor. So I just thought that was interesting, that um, from way back then, remembering that, I could actually uh, put a, a name to what that movie is. <laughs> so... So I'm just, I just wanted to pass that along because I thought that was interesting. You know, that I, I, for some reason, always thought it was Easy Rider because you think motorcycle, you think Easy Rider. So, uh, but I was wrong. It is Vanishing Point, and uh, I now know that. So, and give Vanishing Point a try if you ever uh, run across it, especially if it's on IFC or something. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting movie, visually very well done, although... Uh, there's a 1970 Dodge Challenger that the guy drives. Um, the, Barry Newman is the lead car- lead actor, and he he plays a character named Kowalski. And he drives his car, and he's transporting it across country for this car transport company. And he keeps getting smashed into and banging into stuff in it. And all I could think was, this isn't his car. He's going to deliver this car, and he's going to get in trouble because it's not his car, and it's going to be all smashed. But turns out in the end it doesn't matter anyway. Hopefully I didn't spoil it for you, but... Uh, it's not a super happy ending, but it's kind of a 70s ending, I would think. Um, kind of reminds me of the end of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which I saw as a little kid at the Galaxy Drive-In. And uh, probably was way too young to see that at the time because uh, it was pretty intense. But, you know, it wasn't that intense, I guess. Um, but I probably was still too young to see it, just like I was too young to see Death Race 2000 um, in the theater when I was a little kid. Uh 
which I saw at the same drive-in as a kid, and my mom made us lay in the back seat and go to sleep because uh, <laughs> because uh, there was nudity in it. Although Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was 69, so I was three probably or two. I don't know if, if Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid would have come to the drive-in right away. Maybe it came in 70 because I would have been three then, but I remember the ending of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, so, so I probably shouldn't have been seeing that one <laughs> at the drive-in when I was two or three but definitely it was at 75 was when I, when Death Race 2000 came out so I was eight in that movie so I guess it was a little more appropriate seeing the nudity in that movie at, at eight than seeing the the violence and Butch casting and Sundance Kid at three and I have to say the nudity in Death Race 2000 was great <laughs> Almost as well, similar to uh, to Vanishing Point. To uh, to although Vanishing Point, the nudity isn't as as drawn out as in uh, I don't think as in Death Race Two Thousand. But both are pretty high quality nudity. <laughs> if you like that kind of thing, uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, I would I would recommend the uh, nudity in both. <laughs> Hopefully, I haven't uh, alienated any, alienated any female listeners. But uh, it's all in fun, and uh, they're both. You know, if you've seen Death Race Two Thousand, it's you know, while Vanishing Point is kind of a serious um, movie. Uh, Death Race 2000 is anything but. So, you know, it's a Roger Corman movie produced by Corman, at least directed by Paul Bartel, who is a, a fun actor and uh, a decent director. Uh, Death Race 2000 cannot be taken seriously. I th- that's the first time, first place I ever saw um, uh, Sylvester Stallone and Mary Warrenoff, is it? What is her last name? Warrenoff, who I really am a big fan of. And uh, so... Uh, those, those are that's another movie, Death Race 2000, that I would totally recommend catching. A fun movie, again, kind of gross, but not as graphic, you know, because it's so campy. Not as graphic as 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 it could be for the subject matter. But uh, anyway, um, that's a, it for another edition of the Dark Room. Again, our email address is the Dark Room Podcast at gmail dot com. Drop us a line if you have any comments or questions or suggestions. Uh, Everything uh, is appreciated, and I hope you enjoyed the show. And again, until next time, uh, go watch a movie or read a book. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.